Morena, and welcome to my daily chorus. It is the Tuesday, the 20th of February. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. I focus on Aotearoa, New Zealand's political economy, and look at housing affordability, climate change, and poverty reduction. So when the government announces some changes in the way sanctions are applied to people on the main benefit, that's news I'll have a look at. And I've looked at the announcements from Louise Upston, the new Minister for Social Development, and the news conference and speech uh, that uh, were placed around it by Christopher Luxon, the Prime Minister. He gave a speech, um, a State of the Nation speech on Sunday in Auckland, in which he talked about uh, the country and the government's finances as being fragile, and that tough decisions would need to be made to restore the government's finances and to ensure that the government could continue to access financial markets and uh, that uh, uh, if there was some sort of uh, crisis like a earthquake or a storm that we would be able to borrow money from financial markets uh, to do that. His implication, without saying it out loud, was that things were so bad financially that there would have to be some tough decisions that would hurt some people. And uh, his argument was that beneficiaries, those on the main benefit, not necessarily those people on New Zealand superannuation, should have to justify getting a benefit uh, if they were not available for work or didn't take jobs offered to them. His argument was, um, we'll try to help you get work, but if you don't play ball, then there won't be a free ride. Uh, Christopher Luxon and Louise Upston uh, went on at length in yesterday's press conference about the justification for doing this. I wanted to have a closer look at that financial justification for the benefit changes, and then also the evidence-based justification for the changes based on whether or not they actually work to push more people into work and therefore to make them better off. The, uh, the assertion made by Luxon and uh, uh, Upston was that it was, of course, better for people to be in work, that they would be better off, and that uh, um, people who were told, the stick if you like, told that unless they turned up for uh, work or interviews that they would have their benefits cut, that this would have an actual good impact in terms of more people getting work, more people being more financially and um, socially better off. So what does the evidence actually say? And remember, we have some examples now because in the last six years, uh, MSD has not been applying the sanctions, which are in the law, as aggressively as the previous government, the previous national government ordered between 2008 and 2017. So we now have some data on what happens when you don't sanction people. And uh, we also uh, have data from all around the world and in New Zealand on what happens when you do sanction people. 
So the evidence, as presented to the 2018 Welfare Expert Advisory Group, the WEAG, the evidence presented by MSD, uh, looking at the various bits of research that had been done locally before then, was that it wasn't clear that sanctions actually worked to push more people into work and that people would be better off. Because, of course, some people would lose their benefits and be much, much worse off, particularly if they had families. And uh, this was the conclusion of the WEAG, that uh, sanctions should be removed because they didn't actually work. Uh, however, um, Upston and Luxon pointed to some 2010 research, so 14-year-old research from the OECD, uh, about globally sanctions regimes uh, being a way to get more people into work. So their argument was that some 14-year-old research from the OECD generally about what was happening in the world generally was preferable to MSD research from New Zealand data from five years ago. Uh, instead, uh, they argued that it was clear from two trajectories of numbers, so this is the increased number of people on benefits and the reduced amount of sanctions, that the correlation of those two numbers was in effect causation. Seem to recall in Stats 101 that correlation does not equal causation. However, that was their argument when pressed on why they were, why they were relying on old research. I wanted to play for you now a key aspect from the news conference yesterday where Luxon and Upston were challenged on this. Have a listen in. It goes for about three or four minutes. Can I just take you back to what you, around Bridie's question, around the reports. Why would you prioritise the research of an OECD report that is 14 years old, that encompasses a bunch of countries rather than MSD research that is specifically about New Zealand and done in a short space of time? Your critics might look at that and say you're cherry-picking data. Look, if you want, there's two sets of research that give different messages, um, but the statistics... That is the most, the strongest empirical evidence. But how? 70,000 70, more people on the job seeker benefit at the same time that we've seen a 58% reduction in the use of sanctions. That's evidence enough for me to be deeply worried about the number of New Zealanders not in work today uh, that we could be supporting to be... Uh, a life of greater choice and opportunities for I'm talking yep, specifically yeah, It's about uh, principle, about principles, that you have an obligation. It should be about principles. No, 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 it's about, no, it is about principles because actually we have an obligation here in New Zealand to make sure that you're holding your end up. Taxpayers are paying your benefits so they support you at a time when you desperately need it. That's great. That's what we want to make sure is always the case here in New Zealand. We're just making sure that everyone understands their obligation, the equivalent, the equivalent part of that equation is you've got to hold up your responsibility to deliver on your obligations. So just making sure that we are acting and making sure that we are enforcing the current sanction regime that has been in power, been in law for a long period of time, that's not unreasonable. With that so there you have it, um, that exchange in the news conference, Jason Walls um, asking some questions and others as well about the reasons for this change.
Now, the other reason put forward in the speech yesterday by Christopher Luxon and also referred to again in answers to questions at the news conference was that this was financially necessary for the country. And the implication was that the nation's finances were fragile and this needed to be done to retain the confidence of uh, investors, i.e. people who bought New Zealand government bonds. So it's worth challenging that because there are ways to measure whether an, a, a country's bonds are fragile and whether there is a risk that financial investors are losing confidence in a particular sovereign sovereign's rating. And um, you can do that by going to the bond markets and looking at the prices and the yields of New Zealand government bonds and comparing them with others that are also rated uh, with the same credit rating as New Zealand. Now, New Zealand's government bonds have a triple A credit rating for their local currency version of their bonds, and that, that's the only one that matters because all New Zealand debt now is issued in New Zealand government, uh, New Zealand dollars, unlike in 1991. And that is, um, that is you can tell whether it is fragile. Now, if it was fragile, you would see fast rising bond yields, i.e. remember prices move in the opposite direction to yields in um, fixed interest markets. So if there was a fragile situation for New Zealand government bonds, interest rates, bond yields would be rising sharply. They're not. And when you look at the margin between New Zealand government bond yields and US government bond yields, which is seen as the way you measure how uh, uh, much stress is in a financial market, one of the ways, uh, you find that actually the gap has narrowed substantially over the last 10 years and has been basically stable for most of the last five or six years, despite all of this talk of out-of-control government finances, profligate spending and ruinous levels of debt. There are grown-ups who measure these things. They are paid a lot of money to day-by-day, minute-by-minute, uh, take a view on the sustainability of a nation's finances. That's what the bond markets do. And they do it at such a scale with so many people that it's often described as the wisdom of the crowds. Now, sometimes it's not right, but over the long run, it tends to get it right. And over the long run, Bond investors have become more confident in New Zealand government bonds rather than less confident. So the Prime Minister, in implying that the nation's finances are fragile, is wrong. And there are other ways to measure this. So, for example, when a government chooses to issue bonds, i.e. borrow money from financial markets, from pension funds and the likes, it, it has to, it's a moment of truth. It has to go out there and say, will you buy this paper? And when uh, a, an actual fragile situation is arising, that's when the buyers go away. That's when people look at the paper and go, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not, I'm not bidding in this auction for that paper. So we regularly have these auctions and we can tell how popular they are by a bunch of measures, including the prices reached, but also the so-called bid to cover ratio. So this is how much money was bid for the bonds on offer. So if there are $100 million worth of bonds 
and there are $400 million worth of bids, that says there's a pretty strong bid-to-cover ratio. Well, we had a significant bond auction last week, actually, and the cover ratios were three to four. And as I quote in the uh, email that goes out with this podcast, you can see that uh, financial markets are perfectly happy. In fact, to the point where actually the margin between New Zealand government bonds and other bonds has tightened, i.e. people are even more confident than they used to be. So it's simply wrong to say that New Zealand's financial situation requires tough decisions that make some people poorer. However, if you do take the view that perhaps you need to do these things to stop an erosion of confidence and to stop the future fragility in the eyes of financial markets, and therefore you you have to take tough decisions, well then it's worth looking at uh, the fairness of those tough decisions. If you want to ensure that uh, there is a fair um, hit, if you like, or tough decision in which those who can most afford it are receive the tough decision, then you would do what the real financial grown-ups of the world have recommended New Zealand do, and I'm talking here about the IMF, the OECD and the World Bank, they have all recommended New Zealand adopt a capital gains tax or some form of wealth tax. They also note that we no longer have uh, significant estate duties and land taxes, unlike other countries, and that uh, one of our major um, aims should be to reduce our climate emissions quickly. Uh, none of which this government is doing. And then finally, as we discovered this week, um, there are 50,000 people who are receiving $23,000 a year in New Zealand superannuation payments who are also earning independently more than $100,000 a year. But because it's a universal income for people over the age of 65 with no means testing, income testing, and definitely no sanctions regime, uh, then uh, you do ask the question, is that fair? I'm Bernard Hickey. That was today's uh, dawn chorus, like a midday chorus. Uh, I wanted to spend some time on this one, and uh, I hope it was useful. Uh, If you'd like me to open this one up, please do make a comment in the comments and hit like, and I'll make sure that it gets out to the public. Ka kite anō. Thanks again to paying subscribers to the kaka.